Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? It's a podcast of happiness and wellness, amazing people, amazing stories. And yes, there is some medicine sprinkled around in there. But one of the biggest passions I have is always about raising awareness. And we're going to be very timely in releasing this podcast because September is Suicide Prevention Month. And for me, this is a time to raise awareness and discuss this highly stigmatized topic. And I really do feel it's time to spread hope and vital information to people affected by suicide. And to do this, of course, I brought a special guest. And before she could say hello, you know the routine here at the Dr. Raj podcast. I got to read the bio. So Candace Yoder, who is the guest today, is the executive director of the Matthew Silverman Memorial Foundation which is dedicated to raising awareness with the goals of preventing suicide and saving lives. She is a public speaker for suicide prevention and intervention with a special focus on professional trainings for parents, school faculties, and clinical skill training. And with that being said, Candice, how are you doing? And thank you for being here today. Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I got some questions and I do want to start off with this. I want to make sure everyone understands, you know, what is the Matthew Silverman Memorial Foundation. So can you please tell us about this and how did you become the executive director of this foundation? My brother-in-law lost his only son to suicide in 2006. And as a result, um, he said there were no signs and symptoms. Um, so when we started looking into this and him not wanting Matthew to die in vain, what we realized is that there were signs and symptoms, but he was uneducated in the topic. So we decided to start a nonprofit, um, raising awareness. And really what we do is program in schools specifically, but our reach is, is much further than schools. So we have parent trainings, faculty trainings, student trainings, as well as student-led campaigns. 
Um, we also teach clinical skills classes because most therapists are not trained in suicide in school. So we we try to give that extra oomph there. Um, and a lot of community organizations as well. The reach kind of goes on and on. So, you know, we mentioned some things that are your targets. So being a parent, I just wanted to know why the focus on parents and the school faculty? You know what I mean? And, and what are, you know, not to get too ahead of myself, what are some of the things that you do with them? You know what I mean? Yes, yes. So. My personal focus is with parents and faculties, mainly because at my age, kids don't want to listen to me. They want something they can relate to. After starting the foundation, my daughter actually had a near-fatal suicide attempt. So I have real lived experience with my daughter as well as the professional experience. So between the two of them, my heartstrings are with parents because I made a lot of mistakes And faculty members need to know what to do because as we train students to look out for each other, if a student tells a teacher, they kind of need to know what's next. And this topic's very scary for everybody. So, you know, I didn't prepare you for this question. I didn't realize, or maybe I just, your own daughter, you're in the trenches about this. So, you know, when we started our conversation, you're like, hey, you know, it was hard for Matthew's parents to know some of the signs and symptoms at the time. Did you see the sign and symptoms? Or even if you teach someone, is it still hard to see it when it's your own daughter? No, I definitely saw them. Um, I saw them very much so. She was going through a hard time at school. And I noticed all of the behavior changes. I did everything I could. I had her in therapy. Um, She actually had two attempts. Her first one was a lesser degree. And I could tell by the text she sent me exactly what had happened. So I texted a friend that was at my house. I left work immediately, went home while keeping her on the phone. And because of that, I was able to intervene that first time. But yes, I I very much so knew what was going on in my home. I mean, my my heart goes out to you. So I have a 10-year-old daughter. Her name's Mina. Then my son, and then I have a little one who's three, and I could just imagine, you know, being 10 years of age, you know, I don't even know what I would do if I heard those words or that cry out or that text. And uh, wow, I, you you really know your stuff. I mean, it's, it's so hard. You're on both sides, the teacher and you are living it. So I guess it's an appropriate question right here. How do you know, and we're talking to, um, you know, the general public here, that someone might be suicidal? You know, I always say, you know, you know your loved ones, and really it doesn't matter the age. There are age-specific warning signs, so under the age of 10 can look a little different than, you know, 10 to 24, which can slight, look slightly different than than full-blown adults. But pay attention to your family members. And look at what they're going through. So there's behavior changes as well as big life changes. You know, I always urge people, don't think that you know how somebody should react to to a specific life event because our reactions are so different. So leave that judgment aside and just look at the fact that your loved one is going through a big life event and you're starting to notice some behaviors and let's intervene as early as possible and get help before it gets to that point, if at all possible. So, you know, you, you broke down it in like age brackets and it was like 10 and younger than this broad 10 to 24. Um, this may be a very naive question. I just don't know what the answer is. Have you encountered, you know, children 10 and below that have attempted suicide? Approximately every three days, a child ages 10 and under dies by suicide in America. 
Um, so this very much so happens. And we think not our children, but we need to second guess that because it does happen. And, you know, I love what you just said. I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm stubborn or I just don't think it's going to happen. I think you're right. That's the thing. Not, not, not my, not my Nina, you know what I mean? Not my child, but it's, I'm glad you're open about these things because it really just kind of helps out. Now, you've been saying the word behaviors just very general. So, I mean, let me put you on the spot. What behaviors are the warning signs for suicide? What should I look for? What should anyone look for regardless of age range? You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. So there's a difference in behaviors and feelings. So we always want to check in with the feelings of our loved ones. So feeling extremely anxious, agitated is a big one or irritable more so than normal, Um, persistent sadness or feeling some sort of depression because feeling depressed is a feeling. It's not just a diagnosis. So separating those two Um, up and downs in mood swings can be a big one. Feeling hopeless, trapped, or without purpose. Those three are huge. And then feeling like a burden or feeling numb. Those are the feelings. Now, when we look at behaviors, we're looking for withdrawing from social activities or events. We're looking for outbursts. Specifically in young children, we're looking for outbursts. Acting recklessly at all. If there's an increase in drugs and alcohol, And then any major changes, sleeping too much, sleeping too little, overeating, not eating enough. So major behavior changes that's out of the ordinary for your loved one. No, I mean, it's funny just talking to you. Part of me is like just thinking about, oh, my God, you know, just thinking about their eating habits or sleeping, you know, just changing. Maybe I don't want to go to tennis practice. Maybe I don't want to do this. I mean, it's amazing how there are things that you just don't innately think about that could have been there as early as before it got to a more severe state or, you know, but that's, wow. If a person seems troubled, I mean, this is kind of like a myth or fact, so maybe you could help me with this. Is it safe to ask if they're thinking about hurting themselves? So asking directly has been proven to be the only safe and effective manner. And you actually okay. want to veer from saying hurting yourself because that could be self-harm. It can be a lot. Yeah. You want to ask directly, are you? Yeah. No, you want to just say, are you thinking about suicide? And I know it's scary, um, but research has shown, and I've experienced it because I've asked so many people that not only did they not have to say it, they now feel seen and a huge burden is relieved from them because they're just as afraid to say it, if not more so than we are to ask. And, you know, I think that there, one of, I have a, a cousin who I just love dearly and, and her father, which is my uncle, you know, committed suicide. And she has a saying that in, they call it, there's a stigma about the word suicide itself. They, she called it the S word and people don't like to say it. And I remember that takeaway from a, you know, my conversation with her. So it is nice that you reiterated the point that no, say it, I mean, be very straightforward about it, about what you're talking about. Yes. And it also allows for individuals to know that you're okay talking about it. If we're not hesitating, then they don't have to. Now, is this a myth or fact? I mean, tell me, like, can asking about suicide increase the danger of committing suicide? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's 100% opposite. It actually prevents them just by asking and somebody feeling seen and heard. So let's go back to be a little general. So I just want to ask, let's say there's someone I'm worried about, you know, anyone I'm worried about, and I'm worried about their mental health, particularly, what kinds of questions would be some good openers to, to lead into that conversation? 
trying to be non-judgmental. Let's start there in everything that we do, depending on the question, but noticing, hey, I've noticed X, Y, and Z. How are you doing? You know, it looks like you could be struggling. I even just thinking myself when they give the answers, once if when they're responding to me, depending upon what I ask and um, and I'm not sure about how to respond, I mean, uh, or if the person's resisting help after saying something, what would be some of the next steps? What would you do next? So those, those are two separate questions. So when you don't okay, know go what for to, it, go for it. This is I your know. moment to make everyone smarter about this situation, you know? Yeah. If you don't know what to say next, you can even say that like, wow, that sounds like a lot. Um, or tell me more. It doesn't have to be some brilliant response. Let's use our empathy and let's let somebody know we're really in this with them. Now, to speak to if somebody's resisting help, now we now we do have to break it into under and over 18. Okay, do it. I want, I want to know. I'm, I'm... Yeah, those are very different things. I mean, okay. you can't, you know, under the age of 18, let's yeah. start there because that's mm-hmm. different. As parents, we have this responsibility And we also don't want to push them into treatment before they're ready. We really want buy-in, right? So if it's a crisis, they don't have a choice. No two ways about it. We're taking you to the ER. That's just that. And that's what you do in that instance. But if you catch them before the crisis, you want to start to talk to them early enough and really do what you can to get buy-in. So maybe if you have the time and resources and parents, this is exhausting. If you can say, hey, I set you up with an appointment with three different therapists. I'm going to let you have an appointment with each of them. You choose. Now now they have some choice in the matter, but you're also not giving an option. So that if, if you have the resources and time, please do that. If you don't, then go ahead and just set them up with an appointment with a therapist and let them know that that you will do your best to switch them should they not like them. And that that is what we can do. And also be sure to get the school involved. It is so important that teachers and everybody knows what's going on. Now, over the age of 18, yes. we don't have the same options and that makes it harder. So if they're in crisis, the goal would be to keep them safe for now. So, hey, if you're talking to them, they say, yes, I've been thinking about suicide. My follow-up question is, do you know how you do it or when? And now we have more information. And if we know that they have a specific means, we want to do what we can to remove that, those means from the home or see if a loved one can stay with them for a night or two. Um, immediate crises only last a few days. Sure. Um, even say, hey, I'll go to the hospital with you or let's call the suicide lifeline number together. So you, you want to just do what you can to keep them safe for now. That makes perfect sense. You know, this kind of leads into a question that one of my listeners, you know, I always say what's coming up on the podcast, and they were actually really excited about raising more awareness about Suicide Prevention Month, and they had a question, so I kind of rephrased it, and I think one of the classic questions we think about when we ask individuals who we worry about are, have you thought about hurting yourself? You know, just a very general question. Their question is, if the answer is yes, can you believe that answer most of the time if someone just says yes, you know what I mean? Or, or even if you don't think in your heart, it's a yes answer, you know? Yeah. Well, that's that tends to be our own denial. And can you blame us? We're human. That's scary. We want our loved ones happy and safe. But 
you you have no choice but to believe them. I'm going to give you a statistic that that may shock you, but on average in America, 17 plus million Americans have thoughts of suicide every year. That blew my mind. Yeah, it is. Wow. Okay. So now not as many people act on it. So now we now there's desire versus intent, but you have no choice but to believe that. Okay. So let's cascade on that one. So definitely believe in the answer. What do you do with that answer? And what do you do when you realize that, let's say it's a child, because it's always, you know, I think a lot of parents do listen to my podcast and being a parent myself. And the child not said something like, yeah, and I'm taking medications from the medicine cabinet. How do you go with that? If you don't know what to say, you're going to freeze. Your blood pressure is going to shoot through the roof. Your heart rate's going to go up. Yeah. What I tell parents is try to manage the tone of voice and your facial reactions. If you can do that, you're in a great place. And if you don't know what to say, say, wow, thank you for trusting me with that. And start there. Take a minute to recalibrate. You know, don't, don't say something that you can't take back. And clearly you want to immediately remove all means that you can. So with my daughter, I had a safe. I had every cleaning product, every pill in the house, prescription or not, and every knife, including butter knives, razors, everything was kept in the safe. So you want to start by removing anything and everything you can. Kind of a follow-up question to that was still... I love what you said. It's, it can't be my child. So once if you feel that you have, you know, a child, whatever the age is, that they're being dramatic, you know, they're just dramatic people. That's the way you've seen their personality. That's just the way you would describe them. Um, is that just something Well, we're not doubting their personality, but this is something that it has to be taken for face value. And this kind of leads into someone asked the question, isn't suicide rare to begin with. And obviously when you give those stats, it's not that rare. Mm -mm. No, there's almost 50,000 suicides in America each year. But if you look at attempts, we're, we're way, we way surpass that. Um, I believe there's something like 25 attempts per suicide. So the numbers are through the roof. Now I get that a lot. It's actually in my parent presentation. That's when I do myths. Okay. Okay. Um, Aren't they just looking for attention? Are they being dramatic? Um, Well, we want to talk to our kids from the time they're a young age to where they know not to joke about something like that. So it's rarely a joke. But if your child is seeking attention, I think they likely need the attention because most well-adjusted kids will not say that for attention. So no matter what, there's a deeper issue And you're still in some sort of danger zone. And let's be safe opposed to sorry, because suicide's not reversible. So if you hear that, you know, we, no matter what, we need to take it serious. Okay. So let's take a step back for a broader question over here, which is going to be, who is at the greatest risk of suicide? So are there some characteristics like a checklist you have in the back of your mind that you're just kind of going over? Yeah. So impulsive behaviors. Um, I, I, Tell parents as early as you can, teach impulse control and teach patience Um, because impulsive suicides have risen, um, even though it's still a small percentage. So those are some characteristics. Now there's there's groups of individuals, LGBTQIA+, under the age of 10, black youth are 100 times more likely than white youth. Over the age of 10, white youth are 50 times more likely. 
you know, a pre-existing mental health condition. Exposure to suicide is the number one predictor. So if it's in the family, at school, somebody they idolize, that's one of the biggest risk factors there is. And if they just feel hopeless or like a burden or trapped, those are huge predictors. However, anybody can die by suicide. It does not discriminate. So we, I don't like people to hyper-focus on, mm-hmm. on at-risk groups because we don't know who's at risk. We really don't. What are some examples of impulse behavior? I know that once again, what age are we talking about? And I hate being so vague and putting you in a hard spot. But uh, are impulse behaviors things like uh, having manic episodes? Are there things like things they don't normally do that they do? Can you give me some examples? Are my listeners some examples of that? Yeah. So, so maybe somebody that's highly reactive in any place. Somebody who maybe lacks the ability to pause and and respond maybe reacts heavily to something. That would be one. Um, Teenagers, they're driving, drug use, you know, stuff like that, Um, which can bleed into adults as well. Um, But we're looking for highly reactive individuals, I think would be the best way to sum it up without trying to go over. No, I hear and, and, you know, uh, going back to your daughter, you're so nice to bring it up and talk about it. Now, would she always be at a higher risk because of the previous, whether it's attempts or what was happening in her past? Or, hey, if you address the issue appropriately, that it's not going to put her at risk in the future? No, she was at higher risk. She was definitely at higher risk. And, and this was something that was going to be ongoing. So a lot of parents miss social anxiety as a young child. I didn't because I was born with it and I went undiagnosed. So I knew what it looked like. And she was a very mild mannered, sweet little girl and her behavior almost changed overnight. And she did endure some traumas and some of events that happened. And so I was already concerned with her knowing that she had social anxiety and seeing these events take place and then the behavior, like I said. Okay. Now I'm going to throw another curveball your way. That's not on my list, but you're such a good responder and you teach things so nicely. Social media, you know, there's Netflix shows about this and everything. Is the social media play a, a different role, a bigger role when we talk about contributing to suicide and and suicide attempts. Yeah. So social media is, it's actually quite interesting. I always tell parents, let's talk to our kids before social media gets a hold of them because we want to educate them properly. Suicides has increased specifically in teens over the last decade, tremendously, really 15 years. And it coincides perfectly with social media. The, the numbers go together. Now, I don't want parents to kick their kids off of social media. Please do not do so. Okay. Now, what has happened is our impulse control and instant gratification has gone up. Social media has also proven to make kids' empathy go down. However, social media is actually a huge safeguard for kids that feel alone and isolated. So kids that don't have friends, this is where where they're getting her social. A kid from the LGBT community in a tiny town who is being bullied over this or who cannot come out, that is their lifeline. So it's good and bad. There's both sides, right? And what's kind of, what we've seen is up to two hours a day can really be helpful. Over two hours a day, that's where it can become harmful. Wow. Now, once again, I didn't prepare you for these, but 
I'm going to ask you anyways, pandemic, being a critical care doctor, you know, it did a number on me as far as the stress and, and burnout. What about suicide and, and, and teens and, and just people in general? Do did, did we see a trend epidemiologically? Yes. So there was a huge rise in specifically in girls um, okay. in suicide attempts, suicide hospitalization attempts. So suicide last year, the CDC just reported that suicides in teens actually went down by 8%, but it went up 8% in adults. So we know there was a rise in mental health conditions. We know that that things are just starting to level out. Um, at first, kids that were more protective because they had protective factors were more at risk. That has since leveled out, luckily, but we're still seeing the effects. We, we don't know everything yet. We do know social isolation is not good for kids. For my daughter, for instance, she has social anxiety. She thrived. That was her biggest, yep. her grades went up. Wow, her, good for her. Yeah, her mental health, her depression cleared because she didn't have the same pressures that she normally would with all the students that freeze her up. So yeah. some kids it was really good for. Each home is so unique. Well, you know, I want to make sure I get these two in. It's amazing how it's almost been half an hour and I promise you half an hour. So of all the great things we talked about, what are going to be some important takeaway points from this podcast? September is Suicide you know, uh, Awareness and Prevention Month. What are the, what is the messages, if you have those, that we could tell people listening? My, my goal is to normalize talking about mental health and doing what we can to get there before a crisis happens. So potentially talking to loved ones and letting them know you heard this podcast and that you're comfortable talking about suicide. That way the feelers out there, maybe you can be the person that they go to. That that just, it's so impactful. Um, another takeaway that we haven't touched on, but okay. with all the protective factors out there, research proves that one caring individual is the largest predictor in prevention of suicide. Hmm. So you don't have to be perfect. You just have to genuinely care. And so that can be you. I love that message. That was great. I'm sure many people who are listening today would like to get more information about the Matthew Silverman Memorial Foundation, or maybe get a hold of you or get, uh, be a, a source for information. Can you give me some places uh, how they can get that info? Yes, absolutely. Um, so our website is www.mattsfoundation.org. So that's M-A-T-T-S, mattsfoundation.org. And um, our Instagram handle is the same. My name is Candice. You can reach out to me. My email is on the website. I talk to a lot of people, um, a lot of parents that are going through it. Not only is this my full-time work, but it's also my passion. So so please reach out. And we're going to put all that information in the show notes. And I got to tell you, Candice, this is the first time I got to really just see you and talk to you for a while. You're just a wealth of information. I do mean that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for highlighting this. It's not the most comfortable topic for most people. So I appreciate you know, I think you uh, are what the podcast is about, having the passion for what you believe in. So I want to let you know it shines through and you are very welcome. Everyone, I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Dr. Raj podcast. It is super special to me as it is for Candice. And you'll get my next podcast in the next couple of weeks. And everyone, just take care and see you soon. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. 
This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.